Welcome to No Concessions, your favorite movie podcast where we discuss subgenres of movies. We're off film. It's 2021. No longer film. This week's subgenre is you ever notice that uh, Wonder Woman is played by a woman named Gal? Yes. Is that strange? Hmm? Coincidence or conspiracy? It's anachronistic, to be sure. I don't know what that means. College boy over here <laughs> with his big words. This is a really long uh, subgenre name. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So before we get into our titular segment, uh, No Concessions, where we make a case for our favorite or least favorite movie, and before we get into the review of this week's uh, movie, Wonder Woman from 2020, uh, Wonder Woman 84, I think it's 1984 called? is the, 1984. Wonder Woman 1984 is the full title. Okay, excellent. Uh, we've got an opening segment. Uh, this is going to be our best of 2020. And granted, we didn't compile a list as a team like we should have, but <laughs> we do have individual picks. I'm going to start off. This is a show, a series. Um, my best is 2020. I did not watch a lot of series, admittedly, but uh, season two of His Dark Materials was was real solid tell me more about that because i watched half of the first season and i was just like this show is too gray for me yeah the first season is def- i rewatched the first season to watch the second season and man the first season is i'll say uh muted visually <laughs> uh the colors real a lot like there's like standouts but um uh, his dark materials is based on the uh his dark materials book series by philip pullman it's a collaboration between HBO and the BBC to do a live action adaptation after the, I think it's a 2009 movie, uh, suck shit. And <laughs> I think it works better as a series. Um, it can be paced a lot better. The first film tried to cover the entire first book in like 95 minutes, which is ambitious. It got some things right, but a lot of things wrong because it didn't have the time. And I think the series fixes a lot of those. I really enjoyed season one last year. Um, there are definitely some changes to the series. On the first season, they're not huge, huge changes. Usually just uh, pacing stuff or changing how characters look, um, which is sometimes contradicts how they look in the book. But it usually works. Um, season two, however... Um, takes advantage of the fact that it's television and can cover like by stretching it out to eight episodes, they can, but also by changing what they're focusing on at any given time, they can cover the events of the second book. So the first season covers the events of the first book and starts to seed stuff for the second book. Second season covers about maybe a third of the second book, but also starts to set, like introduce characters and what their arcs are going to be for the third book. Um, and it just, the second season is definitely paced a little bit better than the first and visually a lot more interesting, but it is overall kind of by focusing on just two or three characters at a time. It definitely has like a small scope. When did it come out this year? It came out, Oh, 10 weeks ago, so beginning of December or de- beginning of November. Okay, because all I remember from promos for it was I saw I didn't even watch all the trailer for season one. I just saw news that there was a trailer and I thought, 
huh, James McAvoy's in a TV show. That's cool. And then I never thought about it again. <laughs> so was the fact that it made it to a second season, you know, good for Golden Compass. Um, yeah, it's, the cast is interesting. I mean, Daphne Keene, who's in uh, Logan, she's the main character, or one of the main characters, and she's pretty solid. A lot of, like a lot of child actors, but uh, she's real. she's real good and the the movie i was trying to think of with james mcavoy and dirtiness like related synonyms uh, it's a movie called filth where he plays a dirty cop it's a weird movie i don't know if i'd recommend it I don't you know. should watch it you, you've never seen anything like it <laughs> just based on the script i don't know if i buy james mcavoy as a dirty cop who's not like either cartoonishly like like the british version of denzel washington from training day or <laughs> I don't know. I can't see like a skinny British dude as a scummy cop. I always imagined just like a like a bulky, bald, middle aged dude. He's just like, yeah, gov. We just I can't do a British accent. I'm not gonna do it. Uh, <laughs> just insert some Guy Ritchie quotes in here. Just shamelessly like pushing a kid down or like grabbing a basically Detective Flash from Batman Begins, but British. That's what I'm imagining. You're right. <laughs> I don't even remember what it was about. It was a long time ago. Well, I'll look into it. But yeah, um, if you haven't read the books, that's fine. They make a bunch of changes from the books. Um, but I think they all work if you have read the book, so it's not super frustrating. Um, it's only... The first season is nine episodes. The second season is eight episodes. It's not a huge, huge commitment if you want to try to get into it. But the second season starts to deliver on more of the ideas established in the universe of the first one of the first season and i think it i think it works okay okay have they locked down a third season for yep. sure and because of ending there i don't know because i didn't expect i expected the second season to cover more ground of the books than the than it did the first season pretty well covered the entire first book with enough space to also tell some of the like beginning of the second book like just to kind of get it worked into there and the second book like i said the second season like i said covers maybe a third of the second book but the second and third books are considerably larger than the first one so i get it but it's also because there's a lot of there's a lot of description and narration in the books and there are a lot of explaining concepts because it's like an alternate universe thing so it's explaining a lot of concepts so that you as someone from the real world, because like our world is represented in the books, but it, the first one starts off in this alternate history. Yeah, I'm trying to remember back to when I was like 12 reading it. I know there's a, a thing called an alethiometer, which always tells the truth. And there's a polar bear that can talk and it wears armor. There's a whole race of polar bears that can talk <laughs> and wear armor. Oh, that's the part of the first season I got to when they first met the alcoholic polar yeah. bear. I mean, he's not actually an alcoholic. He's not actually an alcoholic, but it'd be way cooler if he was. Yeah, the, the polar bear who starred in the Coca-Cola commercial <laughs> fell on hard <laughs> times. Look, he's got to. It's been twenty-five years. You got to keep the keep keep those checks flowing. <laughs> no more residuals. They stopped playing those on TV too. Yeah, they definitely play up his drinking more in the books. And then the series, it's just like he, they got him drunk the one time and then they took his armor so that he'd be indebted to them. But it definitely, like the last second half, I think you should finish the first half once you started it. The second half picks up and hits a little harder with character stuff. 
I think the thing that irritates me the most about getting started with new shows, especially fantasy shows, is they always feel the need to explain things yeah. rather than just let it be. Like right. don't 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 explain. And we'll be reviewing this movie in the future, but that's at least one of the things that I respect about Chris Nolan's work. He just introduces the concept and it's just like fuck it. it. <laughs> you either get it or you don't pussy. <laughs> Not my problem. Yeah, he truly doesn't care. Well, I don't think it's like he doesn't care. It's that he understands movie logic so that in a way that allows him to just get away with stuff that you that's why like some of his movies fall apart the more you think about them because the logic of a film while you're watching it is as long as it's all like consistent internally you don't care about stuff like the the biggest example um i can think of is in dark knight rises when their bane is robbing the stock exchange and they're like they escape and like if the stock market's still going it's got to be before four o'clock and then they leave and Batman's like, yeah, I got to I got to figure this out. And then they go through a tunnel and they come out and it's nighttime because Batman doesn't look cool during the day. Well, it's clearly because it's daylight savings time and the <laughs> sun sets at four. No, see, it's an alternate universe also within the Golden Compass universe. <laughs> it's exactly like our world here, but the stock market goes until dusk. <laughs> uh, what was your movie pick? Our movie pick is Sonic the Hedgehog. Yeah, <laughs> number one superhero movie of this year. It was going to be Harley Quinn, but then I watched those two movies this week and I liked Sonic more. So, Sonic the Hedgehog, one of like, what, six movies that got released before we all got shut down? Um, shit's fun. I think I said it was fun. Whatever the episode was we recorded right after uh, that movie came out. Shit's fun. It's like a, it's cute. It's a fun movie. It's, there's nothing about that movie that's going to be super memorable. Do you think <laughs> it would have been better or worse if they had kept the original design for Sonic? Honestly? It, like the horrifying Cronenberg-esque Sonic that they tried making the first time around? I think... I feel like if we had seen more of it in action, it would have fit better. Because there's like some moments where like seeing an actual cartoon character feels weird. Like it has, it doesn't have the same shine as like a Hugh framed Roger rabbit or insert second movie with cartoon characters. In cool it. world. <laughs> obviously. <laughs> Shout out to horny ass Ralph Bakshi. <laughs> but like the, there are moments that, that the final life, the final design works really well. Like when they're um, like during the final fight and during when they're in the hotel and they're like, he's running all over the place and you can like see him doing all the poses from the games. But then there's other times where you see him interacting with human characters and you're like, the gloves and the shoes are weird because the shoe, he's like wearing just like regular shoes still, but also inexplicably has big white gloves. And then he gets the real world equivalent of his existing shoes, but there's nothing special about them. They're just shoes that a child gave him. Wasn't there thinking back to like the really, really old cartoon Sonic series. Mm. Wasn't there like uh, a plot through line in one episode where like he lost his shoes yeah. and then he tried on a bunch of different shoes, but he couldn't run fast because they couldn't stand, couldn't up, stand to, up 
Yeah. And the um, so children's shoes are the secret to running as fast as Sonic. It's their belief in the shoes. <laughs> yeah, you know how how it was like when you're in elementary school and you get new shoes and you just feel stronger, <laughs> like you just feel cooler because you got new shoes. That's what it is. It's just the power of believing that you're fast. Um, Man, there there's a whole other like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy tangent that I want to take. Speaking of shoes, but I would literally be talking about it for like 15 minutes. So table this for later. <laughs> we'll, we'll review Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, an indefinite period like and, later into the... And that'll be your end to just talk about that universe for yeah. a while. By the way, refer back to the Wonder Woman 1984 <laughs> episode, minute number, whatever minute we're on. <laughs> shoes. What about shoes? Yeah, shoes. I unapologetically really like Sonic the Hedgehog and... Most of the other movies I watched this year that were released this year were at best fine. So <laughs> it's true. I like Birds of Prey, but the pacing is weird. Yeah, it's true. There's good. I think there are good choices made. I like Ewan McGregor being just like real fussy as Black Mask. And I really like the idea that he and Zaz are like low key fucking like they're definitely boyfriends. <laughs> and I think there are good choices overall, but I think that just that script could be tighter. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we'll get into this during the... I was about to pop off on Wonder Woman, <laughs> but uh, let's go with you, Charlie. On the other end of the spectrum, we've got fun movies on Charles's side of the table. I'm a child. Yeah, and then we got serious as fuck movies over here. Uh, my favorite movie uh, came out in, uh, actually in the end of 2019, uh, but I saw it this year, so that's why I'm making it my 2020 <laughs> number one movie. 1917, the Sam Mendes one shotter World War One movie, quote unquote one shot. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so they cheated it to make it look like it was one shot, but for the most part, it was done pretty well. Um, but it just takes place over the course of like twenty four hours or so, where two soldiers are tasked with traveling through enemy lines uh, in order to deliver some message that an attack that British forces are going to attempt on the next day is actually a trap set by German forces and all the British people are going to be killed by it. And the onus for the two soldiers, like so desperate to get there is one of the soldiers brothers is going to be in the attack. So like I said already, the movie is shot to make it look like it's all taking place in a single take. And they have for the most part, pretty clever transitions going from one scene to the next. So it's not always super obvious that they've cut to a new shot. But um, the longer you watch it, the more you start to kind of forget to try and look for, oh, did they just like make a cut over there? And then you kind of just take in the scenery and atmosphere of the movie. So it's pretty slowly paced, as you can imagine, because it's it's almost as though like one minute in the movie is just one minute in real life watching it. Exhausting. Yeah. Oh, it's amazing. I can watch it 20 more times. Yeah. Um, so there's there's one scene where uh, they start off on British lines and they're in the middle of trench warfare, remembering back to history class, World War One. The first like major holy shit scene is when the two soldiers are leaving the trenches from the British side. So if you remember back to your uh, history class in high school, the one thing that you probably recall from World War One is trench warfare right so they're leaving the trenches and they're the camera slowly pans up and you see this apocalyptic uh, post-battle battlefield 
of just like decaying bodies and misery and death all over the place and just them slowly crawling across the battlefield. It's like a five minute long shot where there's no talking and no action. I like the version that's in Wonder Woman better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you mean the good Wonder Woman. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it's just slowly building tension because as they're going across the battlefield, they've gotten intelligence that all the German soldiers in their trenches have left. So um, all the British soldiers are saying, you two guys are going to die as soon as you go onto the battlefield because you're just going to get gunned down. And so the further they move across and the closer they get to enemy lines, the more you're kind of expecting in sort of like a traditional movie that, oh, one of these dead bodies they're crawling by is actually still alive and they're going to have to fight off some Germans. But nothing happens at all. They just end up at the German trenches and find that no one's there. And it's just this like constant tension throughout the entire movie. And I've seen it already a couple times. Probably going to watch it when I get home. It's been a few months. I need to refresh my memory on it. Uh, but definitely a plus movie of movies that include years in their titles, <laughs> i.e. Wonder Woman 1984. In direct contrast. Yeah. This one is much better than that. That's excellent. Do you guys see it? No, no. Okay, yeah, I, you, you value your time more. So you only want good things. Oh, I absolutely don't value my time. <laughs> absolutely not. And I, get, I can tell you that's the case because of the amount of times I've been drunk in the last eight months. <laughs> been time traveling all over the place. <laughs> yeah, for real. Um, no, I just never got around to watching it. The Honestly, if I'm going to keep it funky, the gimmick of all one shot was really off-putting to me. Um, mostly because like when you're doing something that's like gimmicky like that, it takes away different, uh, I, I would say quality of life things from other movies, like that other movies have something like, for instance, um, what's a good example? Like when you're having a conversation in a movie and the camera switches between those two people, suddenly you can't just switch between those two people. You have to pan the camera around. You have to dolly it around. So you have the other person's perspective. And like that, that kind of stuff is like annoying, at least to me, not, not so annoying that it'll prevent me from enjoying a movie, but it's just like, f fuck. Okay. Yeah. I was looking at some of the behind the scenes stuff on it and just in their planning and how to do each shot. It's a matter of if we have characters walking from here to there, the scene can only be like three minutes long because it's going to take three minutes to walk that far. But at the same time, you need three minutes worth of walking distance for them to be able to move. And so um, in like the first shot, the soldiers are kind of just like sitting under a tree and then they walk through their their encampment and then into the trenches. And since you're seeing it kind of like from their perspective, you slowly see all this stuff come into frame. But then when you look at the like bird's eye view of this in the behind the scenes, like set up to it, you just have this like super long line of all this dense activity happening. And then as soon as it like <laughs> leaves camera, people just like <laughs> chill out and stop moving. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. And some of the shots are like, really mind bending in how they pulled them off. Like there's one later on in the movie where uh, one of the soldiers is up in the second story of some building and he has to exit and like run through some town. And so the camera doesn't follow him as he walks out of the building. Uh, he just instead like runs off screen and then the camera slowly moves out the window 
And it's not a CG window either. It's like an actual window with like bars on it and somehow moves through them and moves like over the ground 30 feet in the air and then slowly comes down as the soldier comes back into view and then follows him through his like entire run through the city. It kind of makes you think like, I can't believe they pulled this (laughs) off. Just the like technical skill required to do it was super impressive. Yeah, I think there's always room for with when you set like a restriction like that on yourself and there's room for like a lot of artistry to come out of that because you know you have restrictions like well how what's the maximum thing i could do within this restriction i think that uh is an example of that where it's like hey i need these all to be continuous so how do i pull off visually interesting things without them all just being wide shots and close shots that pan out to wide shots and back in or putting a mirror in the room so oh oh you can see the other person that they're talking to (laughs) how cute is that Uh, and then my tv show was alex garland's devs which i know i mentioned before yeah i know denzel actually saw this we had a great discussion about it because he hated it absolutely hated it yeah i turns out i dislike more than just time travel i hate pocket universes too (laughs) yeah um so the premise of that um since it's been a while since i mentioned it is these these two coders work at like a google level company and one of them gets recruited into a secretive team just called the devs team uh by the ceo and he abruptly disappears. So his girlfriend, who also works at this company, is trying to investigate what happens to him. And then minor spoilers, she finds out that the project that this devs team is working on is a quantum computer that can simulate reality uh, just because through some like hand-wavy computer science, we've got such a sophisticated quantum computer, it can predict where every particle in the universe is going to be. And so if you know all those, like if you know the initial conditions of them, then you can kind of forecast out, well, if this object moves there, that's going to influence those other three objects and then hand waviness and, oh, we can predict the future now. And so then it's kind of like a matter of the CEO knows whatever's going to happen in the future of the show. And then the girl is trying to like fight against this and... Uh, as the show uh, continues on, it almost seems like she's struggling against whatever her inevitable destiny is going to be as set out by this machine. So it's not quite time travel, but it is like informational time travel. Where like, you know what the future is, so what are you going to do to try and avoid that? Are your actions going to cause the event that you saw in the future to happen? I don't know. I fucking hate that show. <laughs> I hate it so much. Well, I I guess the the best thing that I can say is or, that's not even a good thing. That's not a compliment. <laughs> uh, I guess the thing that I did like about the show, if I had to say something positive, is that uh, the the very very minor Russian agent part of it that was the best part of the show to me, and it's incredibly minor. Yeah, I I thought that was kind of like a little too dramatic for the show. Like I thought it was a little unrealistic. Uh, the what the setup for it? I'll get into that. The setup for it <laughs> is uh, one of the people who works at this company 
uh, isn't technically like a Russian spy, but sells information to the Russian government. They're, he's just kind of like an asset for them, but doesn't have any like real affiliation with like the KGB or whatever. And I was listening to some other podcast review of this show. And one of the uh, people on the panel was saying, yeah, I had a, a friend whose husband worked at one of Apple's like more secretive labs. And they had this uh, Chinese hire come on who day one just grabbed a bunch of hard drives with like all this secret Apple information on it and then just walked out of the building and left the country. Like, oh, okay. I guess if that sort of thing does happen, then it's not super unrealistic to have in the show. Yeah. And also it's a show about a future telling computer, <laughs> a fucking computer that can tell the future. You fucking kid. It's unrealistic to have Russian aid. Charlie, is, is please. This, is this that, like the, uh, the intellectuals equivalent of like, oh, female superheroes are so unrealistic. <laughs> hey, she have, would never be able to fight off a man. I had that same thing happen to me two weeks ago. Or maybe not to whatever episode it was. I did that same thing. I logic lorded some fucking. I said something was unrealistic, but it's like, it's a fictional show, fictional movie. What Other the than fuck? the magic computer that can predict the future, everything else is supposed to be based in reality, right? And yeah. best part is that it was a limited run series. So nothing in it was trying to set up like possible future seasons. It was just a self-contained here's a story yeah eight story episode over. long show um signature great alex garland look um hence for what my no concessions pick is going to be this week but everyone should watch it if only because it's short and we've got nothing but time locked in our homes yeah time is a flat circle and it's completely meaningless yeah <laughs> so this is going to be cheating a little bit um for my movie it's a series of movies that have existed since the dawn of time and it's the the land before time yes i've watched all 32 of them <laughs> <laughs> it's uh mission impossible um i watched the last four of them three of them like five or six times last year i think they're some of the best made movies ever the plot's not all that great acting is not that great <laughs> but i think as a feat of production and this is what i really respect about christopher nolan's work like the practical effects like they put the money spent to make it making those movies to good use the movies are gorgeous like the practical effects and things in those movies are incredible and like if i were to say if i were to meet somebody who's never seen a movie ever in their life and they say, Denzel, tell me of these action movies in America. I would say, like, let's watch fucking Mission Impossible, dog. Let's, let's, this is like, this is peak popcorn movie making. Do you ascribe to the theory that each Mission Impossible is, it's produced on just the back of Tom Cruise wanting to top his previous Mission Impossible's most impressive practical stunt? I mean, he insists on doing his own stunts, so I'm sure there's... I know there was one where he, like, held on to the outside of a plane or something. Yeah, that's number four. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe so. It's a possibility. I think he's going into space for the next one. Good. I'm excited okay. to see it. If that's what it takes <laughs> for it to get people going, to, going in and out of space, let it be Mission Impossible. Let an industry built largely around 
Tom Cruise's actual slave labor be the thing that gets us there? Because why not? You know, I'm going to watch it either way. I, it's not to say that I'm not excited about it. I just haven't heard anything about it. It was, well, did you see, um, Derek, did you hear those uh, set tapes that got released a couple weeks ago? Oh, where he's talking to Christian Bale? No, nah, he's just <laughs> no, going where, off. No, where he's on, channeling the spirit of Christian Bale. <laughs> he's just losing it on these people on set um, for not for standing too close to each other and not wearing masks. What the fuck do you expect? Yeah, you're on a film set, dog. And what the fuck? I think they, I think they, and so there were two tapes released. One of them was one freak out. The other one was a different one. But I guess I think the first one, it turns out they actually were wearing masks. They were just like standing right next to because they both had to look at the monitor. And he's like goes on this rant about how this production is super important and if we can't show that we can do this kind of thing responsibly then this whole industry grinds to a halt and it's like we can't do like i'm on the phone every night with studio heads and insurance companies just like saying that yeah we're doing our thing and we can make this happen and we can do this responsibly keep the the industry going and he's like yelling at these workers who also have a vested interest in this business <laughs> being workable, but also have to do their jobs. And part of that involves sometimes looking at the same screen together. Yeah. That's so fucking dog. Like first and foremost, you're working on a film set. Like you're working, right? Yeah. That's like going to a restaurant and complaining that two people are standing too close to each other in the kitchen. Yeah. The fuck. It's like, we're, they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. They are doing it as responsibly as they can, but, Give it a rest. Right. And it's not like you, Tom Cruise, individually are the person that's keeping the film industry afloat. Yeah, for real. People are going to make movies regardless. Right. It was wild. But that was on the set of the new Mission Impossible. Well, I'm going to still I'm still going to go watch that motherfucker. Yeah, I've been meaning to do a do a take a dive into that. I've only seen the first one. I dog. Just skip the first three. Fuck it. Oh, just jump into the the last three are the best. Well, they're so what, good. That's what I do then. They're, they're, not to say that like okay. So Philip Seymour Hoffman's in the third one. Mm. He's a fantastic off, uh, actor. Incredible. It was great to watch. But fuck those movies. The first three are cool. Whatever. The last three are where it's at. Yes, so I I got I fell into the same trap with um, Fast and Furious. Where I was like, all of those. No, I got. I got to go back and I got to watch them. I got to watch them before I can watch the new ones. And I don't. I, that's a rule that I made up for myself. I don't have to do that. I can just watch the dumb, fun ones from the 2010s and onward. I think that it's fun to pretend ironically that like the Fast and Furious movies are good, but really the only good one is the first one, and the rest of them are dog oh, shit. Oh, they're not good at all. They're just big and dumb. I like I like those ones in the same way I like the Transformers movies, and I wish oh. they would just do a crossover. I, I just need Fast and Furious <laughs> cross Transformers, and I need both that level of both those levels of stunts where you got Vin Diesel doing shit between two cars and the cars turn into robots to punch each other and then back into cars <laughs> so that he can slide into the window or whatever. Just make sure Anthony Hopkins is in it screaming. Yeah. I just, I want Transformers with Vin Diesel instead of Mark Wahlberg, I guess is what I'm asking for. <laughs> it's about family. Did you watch Bloodshot? That's another conversation for another, excuse me, I'm sorry. And for my television pick, this is going to be cheating as well. Uh, but I have two picks. Uh, mostly because like I'm very, in times like these, we need all the joy that we can get. Oh, and Jesus. look, if I'm if I'm keeping it 100% funky right now, 
I'm so sick of watching cynical shit on TV. So tired of it. This okay, like I get it. The world sucks. Okay, we knew that before we turned the TV on. It's like fuck, bro. If I have to watch another show about some miserable person hating their miserable life, it's I just I don't want to see it. I don't want to see it. Uh, So I saw this show uh, called Ted Lasso. It's a an Apple TV original, and for the first time in a long time, I feel like I watched. How to feel. Knowing that you were the first person to watch an Apple TV original. <laughs> uh, probably first and the last. Um, I came on some recommendation from somebody that I know. Hey, some people were mad on Twitter about Newsroom or whatever. Oh, the the, uh, the morning show. Morning show. Yeah. Oh, it's it's a commentary on Me Too, but it's not actually Me Too. It's just blow. I fucking hate media so much. Uh, anyway, it's about a, a, fo- a college football coach that gets called overseas to coach a soccer team uh, that somebody's purposely trying to scuttle. He's just an optimistic guy. It sounds like a 90s movie, and I love it. Well, it's a, yeah, it's, is it uh, set up by them saying, we need a football coach for our football team. Let's go to America, <laughs> where they have the best football coaches. But, wait, uh, they call America football football. No, no. Uh, <laughs> luckily, they skipped that. Um it's just some lady is getting divorced from her husband and she owns the team now. And as a part of the divorce, uh, her husband's not allowed to come to the games or something like that. And he has no control over the team. And she's just like, fuck it dog. He was cheating on me for how many years? Okay. So I'm going to hire this fucking football coach. He's going to come over here and fuck up the team. And then I get to look at my husband's dumbass expression while his team is fucked. Um, it's centered around Brought to you by Apple <laughs> and it stars, uh, that some guy from SNL, but, um, I thought it was like just it's not a particularly great show. It's just that it's optimistic and not dark. It's not cynical. It's just a show about a guy doing stuff, which is cool. And I appreciate that. And like, I don't want to have to watch children's TV to be able to get that. And the other show is RuPaul's Drag Race because I fucking love that show. (laughs) I love it. It's so much fun. I mean, I'm I'm high key uh, fashion dude. Um but it's it, I watch the show a lot for the fashion. It's also slightly uplifting. It's not it's not very funny uh, all the time, but it's very funny for the wrong reasons uh, at other times. Anyway, those are my picks. Really uh, covered like the whole gamut of yeah, it was quite the different, spread. Different types of shows and movies to watch. Yeah, absolutely, something for everybody. Exactly. When we get back, we'll be uh, reviewing. 2020s Wonder Woman 1984 that's the year that it was (laughs) This week's subgenre is, you ever notice that uh, Wonder Woman is played by a woman named Gal? Mm. That's not <laughs> mind-blowing for you? Mm. That didn't blow your mind? Yeah, I, I'll tell you what I didn't do. You, while you're sitting at home judging me for this bad <laughs> joke, I didn't play 
Avengers Endgame and time the snap with the 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 turning of the new year at midnight. (laughs) Whoever did that is a fucking shithead. I hate you. Did anyone sync any movie with the the new year? No, who has the time? Who gives a shit? I I, uh, synced up Pulp Fiction and when Uma Thurman ODs. (laughs) Uh, So she's just writhing on the floor at midnight and she just gets a big old needle to the chest. I'm just kidding. I didn't do that. <laughs> anyway, Wonder Woman 1984 was directed by Patty Jenkins, produced by Charles Roven, Deborah Snyder, Zack Snyder, Patty Jenkins, Gal Gadot, and Stephen Jones. Screenplay by Patty Jenkins, Jeff Johns, and Dave Callahan. Story by Patty Jenkins, Jeff Johns, based on Wonder Woman by William Moulton Marston. That's interesting. Starring Gal Gadot, Chris Pine, Kristen Wiig, Pedro Pascal, Robin Wright, and Connie Nielsen. Music by Hans Zimmer. Cinematography by Matthew Jensen. Edited by Richard Pearson. And with a runtime of way too fucking long. Way too fucking long. 151 minutes. That's the strength of the liquor that I like. <laughs> With a budget of $200 million and a box office of $118 million, not including the uh, sales that generated uh, for that were generated for HBO Max, which apparently in a three-day span, they matched their opening numbers. Wow. That's yeah. actually really yeah. impressive. That's honestly the only reason that I paid for this movie, because normally I would just watch it for free. Uh, but I want to support my local businesses in these trying times, <laughs> even multi-billion dollar ones. <laughs> my multi-billion dollar local business. Hey, I just got to open this up by saying this movie's way too fucking long. Dog, I, it should have been like 90 minutes, <coughs> not an hour and a half. There's so much random bullshit going on in this movie too. Yeah, I the whole time I was watching it, I was just thinking... I want to learn how to edit video just so <laughs> I can go through each scene of this movie and, and just, cut that scene out and cut that scene out and make this scene half as long. The the no hypothesis cut. <laughs> yeah, this is one of those movies where anytime anytime you become aware of how long a movie is while you're watching it, it's not good. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, I looked at the runtime right when I started it because the power was out at my apartment. They reported reportedly it was supposed to be out from 8 a.m to 4 p.m so i had to go into the office and so i sat down and i was just like i watched young frankenstein as well a spoiler for (laughs) next episode and i watched um wonder woman young frankenstein hour and 45 minutes i was just like god and then i look at wonder woman and i'm like jesus christ (laughs) Are you fu- two and a half hours? What the fuck is happening in this movie for this to be two and a half hours long? Well, That's a good two, question. Not two and a half hours worth of stuff. No, absolutely. This could easily not. have been a tight 90. Like, yeah, dog. Are you fucking kidding me? This is me? the first time I'm actually going to advocate for the tight 90 way of life. Dog, it's this movie. Uh, it, it felt like to me they were just struggling to find things to put into this movie. Like, okay, why do we need. Wonder Woman using her lasso like a propeller in the sky. That was weird. I was like in the in the trailer, um, she we don't see I don't think we see that in the first two trailers. I think that was in the last trailer. But in the first two trailers, like how they cap it off is her using the lasso to swing from lightning, which is a sick visual. 
But that's so corny. That's <laughs> yeah, but it's a well, sick visual. It's very fun for a comic book movie. Well, I thought the movie was really gonna turn up the corniness of it because it seemed like from the first trailer they're going with like, yes, we're in the eighties and we're gonna have an and 80s even in the vibe first the whole time. In the first scene, the first scene feels like an eighties movie with a twenty twenty budget. Like it's the cartoonishly bad jewelry store robbers. Like how bright and colorful that mall is like how accurate the um costume and like hair design and everything everything looks very 80s and it's really bright and she's like swinging around and the guards are like or the robbers are like and just like throwing like they may as well be like holding money like bags of money with a dollar sign on them they're so cartoonish and then like she drops them on a cop car at the end of that scene oh yeah I'm like, oh, I From guess they definitely now. should have killed them. <laughs> it flattened the car. Yeah. But it's oh, like, no, she just dropped them from right outside of frame, I swear. If the movie was all that, I would have been If it fine had kept that. that energy, it still shouldn't have been two and a half hours. But if it had been like Police Academy, but Wonder Woman, then okay, we can, I can vibe with the energy, even if it's super weird. Actually, you know what? When he said that was the first scene of the movie, that should have been the first scene of the movie. But instead, we start out with oh, like right. the, uh, CrossFit games, right, on Wonder Woman's Island. On the mascara. Right, yeah. Apparently, the studio was like, you can have one of these opening sequences, but not both. And (laughs) Patty Jingles was like, no, we're going to do both. (laughs) And I feel like that choice sets the scene for how weird the tone is this entire movie. By, by like, including both of those, because you can set one tone by having the Diana learns a lesson as a child, and she jumps forward and things are different for her now. She has to learn that lesson again. That's one tone you can approach, but you can, or you can have the eighties were fun. Right. And also wonder woman's here. Yeah. I think I'm going to logic Lord that scene again and say, did you guys think it was weird that they went with like such a young kid to be in the same games as all the other women? Well, she's she's the queen's daughter. She can do whatever she wants. I mean, <laughs> at least make her like a teenager or something. When instead you're seeing a child. Well, they wanted to use the same actress, and she it had only been two years. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I didn't see the first one, so I oh. I didn't know. It okay. The same uh, it's one. the same. It's the same actress as Child Diana in the first Wonder Woman. What? Um, <laughs> but they did actually. Now you bring that up. There is a teenage Diana in the first one. Right. There are they. They show her at. So the actress who's in. Who plays her child self in the beginning of '84 is the child's like the child version of her in the beginning of the first one, but then there's a teenage version of her when she's training, and then the third one is Gal Gadot. Gadot. <laughs> so they definitely could have had her as a teenager also learn that same lesson. I don't know why it's essential that she be nine years old when she learns it, but who knows? Apparently, she did all her own stunts for that scene. The child? Yeah. Oh, she rode a horse and fucking sick and slid on a slide. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Actually, that's not that tight. Because they weren't actually jumping on poles above a pool. Yeah. (laughs) Everything in the Coliseum is CG, but everything past that, still impressive. I'm not trying to downplay the accomplishments of this 11 year old, but it is cool that she rode the horse and shot the arrows and stuff. It's just weird seeing a kid do it with the adults. Just Especially because every time you see her in the same frame, the adults just pick, outpacing her immediately. <laughs> I, another thing that I feel like I need to bring up is, is why 
is Gal? Why is Gal Gadot such a terrible actor? <laughs> it, like it's it's one thing if she's by herself in a scene, but like, dude, next to Chris Pine, next to Kristen Wiig, like Chris Pine and Kristen Wiig are acting circles around Gal Gadot that entire, yes. and it's like to the point where it's distracting because Kristen Wiig is so charismatic that in all the scenes that they share, like when they're at the scene where they're having dinner and like getting to know each other, you're like, Kristen Wiig's a person and Gal Gadot is a wall that they put <laughs> words on top of. It, this, that scene literally opens with Diana being like, you're so funny. Like she, like she doesn't understand human interaction at all. <laughs> and I don't, a stronger, I think a stronger actor would play that as Diana's deliberately removed from people. And so that's why it's hard for her to like kind of connect with somebody because she hasn't let that happen for so long. But instead, we got Gal Gadot who's just like, how do people work? <laughs> you know, it's actually kind of funny because I feel like Henry Cavill's the same way. He's like yeah. marginally a little bit better. I didn't watch like, The Witcher, so I don't know how he is in that. But yeah, even his like he, his Superman is just a wall. Yeah, he's just big and handsome, and I'm cool with it. But he's yeah, he's not doing a whole lot. Yeah, and this is something that stands out in one of the Mission Impossible movies when he's acting <laughs> across from Tom Cruise. It's like, hold on, why can't you act? <laughs> he's standing next to Angela Bassett, and she's like chewing the scenery, and he's not saying a single fucking word. But it's like, I know you can't act, motherfucker. <laughs> I know you can't. And Gal Gadot, when she's like with other people, it's it's easy to see that she's not very good at acting, or maybe she's just not getting good enough direction. But like Chris Pine knows what he's doing. It's so it's so heartbreaking to see Chris Pine like emoting extra hard, and then Gal Gadot's face is just the same. His face is so expressive, and he. Gives a lot of energy to all of his performances. And it's like the four stars of this movie, the Kristen Wiig, Pedro Pascal, and Chris Pine are acting their asses off this whole time. and But our central character seems like she's just flat and like stagnant. She doesn't even feel like she makes a lot of progress personally as the movie goes on. Oh, but she learns how to fly because her lover knew how to fly. <laughs> it's about... The feeling. air. It's about the love that you feel for the ones that you had to send back to the past because the wishmaster got gotcha. you. Can we? Okay. I. The, I. So that here's another. No, no you said what you were going to say first, and then I was going to change the subject. Okay. I. I was going to say like straight up. I wish that they would have just had the god come in at some point. The god. It's weird that the, they didn't, considering. He was how on big, the verge of destroying the fucking planet. Yeah. And like how big the mythos is around Diana is the magic and like supernatural wing of this like trio being Superman, Batman and Wonder Woman. And it's like, yeah, other gods from other places exist. And it's like, cool. The last one was about how the Greek gods are not around anymore. What if this one was about gods from other places? Why not take it in that direction? But they fucking don't. It's, it's. I feel like it's messily written as well. Yeah, and I think that's more of um, the tone stuff. So 
I think this movie has a Spider-Man 3 problem where there's just too much shit going on. And so none of it has room to land. And some of it does, but it's purely from the acting ability of the character, of like the actors. Like the Pedro Pascal stuff, the Max Lord is a wild divergence from the comic book character. But in a way that works and is really fun, and he's very fun to watch in it. And it's so cartoonish 80s movie that he has a wishing rock that he turns himself into and now has to grant wishes. One of the things on the first viewing that I had a problem with was like, I don't know what his motivation is or like why he wants to keep why he wants to keep granting wishes. Like they they kind of set up that he gets something in all these transactions, which Sure. I'm like, I get the, I'm cool with like the monkey paw thing of, or like the, even like the idea of like magical exchange. There's to get something, you have to give something. And for him to like use his ability to grant a wish and then take something is cool. But one, it doesn't really seem consistent with the, how the wish affects Diana and um, Barbara, where it's like you get what you want, but you also have to lose the thing most valuable to you when Max is just taking whatever he wants. It doesn't matter if it's valuable to that person or not. He's just, oh, well, I want this. He should have lost his son. He should have lost his son. Yeah. But he's like, there's no like motivation. Why does he, why is he trying to reach so many more people? And then on second view, um, the takeaway I had was that by becoming the wishing stone, he now needs to grant wishes. Like that's that's become part of his nature. I don't know if that's even like it's not. That's that's kind of like the monkey's paw iteration of his wish, where yeah. he now becomes what he wanted—the stone, the ability to grant wishes. But now he's forced to grant wishes; yeah. otherwise, his health deteriorates. Yeah, he has to grant wishes; otherwise, he's not doing he's like not serving his purpose anymore it's like tricking jafar into wishing to become a genie yeah you get all the power but now you're beholden to this other set of rules and that makes that work better but like that's not that's like more subtext than it is anything it's like why is he doing like there's nothing in the film that shows you why he's doing this because he's like gets to a point where he has influence over the president like you can do at that point his arc's kind of over he can kind of he can have whatever he wants there doesn't need to be any actual comeuppance for him because he can have whatever he wants at that point but because they don't do the work in showing that not granting wish because it's not clear is it not granting wishes that makes his fucking nosebleed or is it granting wishes that takes it it takes stuff out of it like it doesn't do the work to show you which thing is the consequence and therefore, like nothing that he does is like punishable, really. Like, there's no, it doesn't feel like comeuppance when he's one and then his son is sad, but like not actually in danger. Like, yeah, it's it, this movie seems like consequence free wish fulfillment. I guess pun intended. I don't know because you get Kristen Wiig who uh, gets to be as strong as Diana. And then for some reason turns, turns into a cat turns into cheetah, big cats fan, I guess (laughs) (laughs) I was, it was cats around in the eighties or was that a mid nineties thing? Um, I think the play came out. I don't think the musical came out before 84. 
Okay. But it was in the 80s because the 90s, the Broadway one was, I think, 91, 92. Gotcha. Anyway, um, she the only consequence to her was she became a meanie. She made people sad around her. But, like, she interacts with people. She's fine with everybody. She, like, chats with all of her coworkers. She's right. very she, fun with them. She's only, like, mean when it's convenient for the script for her to be mean. She isn't suddenly, like, cruel to everyone she interacts right. with. Even, like, the scene where they, that they try to use to show her turning is when she gets revenge on the man who tried to assault her earlier in the film, which in any other superhero movie is your like your first hero moment where you're like, okay, she has the power in the situation now. And then the, the way that they show that she's like bad is she beats him up too much, which again, isn't like, where's the tone? What are we, what are we going for? Yep. And then the homeless guy that she's friends with um, is like, what are you doing? He's like, mind your business. I'm bad now. And then walks away. <laughs> and you can tell she's bad because she gets a uh, denim jacket later with spikes in it. They, honest, like, they honestly showed so much of Kristen Wiig in the first like half of the movie that I almost feel like they should have just made the movie about her. Yeah. Yeah, they could have. I don't understand. I mean, I, I'd rather watch her than Gal Gadot. Yeah, she's enough. at least fun to watch on screen, whether or not she's a good or bad guy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Kristen Wiig is a lot of fun. Uh, Bridesmaids is a very funny movie. It's the, the scene where they all shit themselves. <laughs> it was really good. Yeah, uh, Kristen Wiig's career is interesting because she's like, she she's on SNL. She's doing like mostly small film appearances and like being very good in all of these like small appearances and then all of the like starring role things it's on these like smaller indie projects that like nobody sees it's like Kristen Wiig's doing this and then we don't never hear about it anymore and then she's like the big film she's done have been Bridesmaids which she wrote and then like this what about Ghostbusters and Ghostbusters which she also wrote so it's like she's done three like mainstream big films including Wonder Woman and was like she's it's a weird trajectory that she's taking but she's she's real fun either way but she's also like the more i think about the acting the more i'm like every scene that doesn't have diana in it <laughs> like <laughs> when max and barbara are like talking while he's trying to get trying to get to the stone like that sequence is those two scenes are like really fun cuz she's weird and he's over the top and when no that's it it's basically the only like really fun scene <laughs> like <laughs> set of scenes yeah I, I this movie kind of made me upset because we got a beautiful year of no superhero movies and then i had to spoil that streak with this one right at the right at the close of the gate too <laughs> yeah. it yeah. snuck right in of, of all the superhero last, movies to watch the last possible week one. when we get this one yeah yep I don't think that I'm opposed to superhero movies. It's just that maybe uh, they should reconsider how they're being made. Superhero movies are fun. There's just a lot of them. Yeah. Uh, this one in particular is not a great example of one. But I will say what this movie did do was make me miss watching them in theaters. Yeah. yeah. I really like half of this movie. I was sitting in front of a fucking a uh, 17 inch macbook pro at work and i'm like god i want to see this on a big screen what the fuck i watch it in vr 
I don't have my headset yet. Well, when you get it, well, don't watch the movie again because why bother? <laughs> but, <laughs> guys, you know what this means? We can have virtual movie watching sessions at the same time. True. Is there like an app for that? There's several apps for that. Okay. Yeah, let's do it. I've been using big screen. Big screen's real fun. Okay. But, um, yeah, we, this podcast is now sponsored by Oculus. <laughs> NC Quest 2021 for 10% off your Oculus Quest. <laughs> well, there's no way we're going to be the first podcast in, HR, in VR, but uh, I'll take Facebook's money to be a, a VR podcast. Oh, yeah. VR movie podcast, especially if we can use the footage. Yeah. Because yeah. I would love to show an example of Diana swinging from lightning like that. What? Yeah. Okay. And how she made the jet invisible. Okay. Come on. That was terrible. I was like, why even? I I thought it was like funny the first time. And I was like, that's, it's, it's also like really weak. It was like, oh, my father, he knew a trick to make an entire island invisible. And maybe I can do that also. It's like, Diana, why would you think that you could do that? Why would you even think that you could do that also? Well, because she vanished a coffee cup once. Which is like. Uh, just the thing that she said. It'd be one thing if we saw her practicing it earlier she sh- in this. She and a should half have hour had a little movie. setup doing it and like struggling with it early on in the movie, and then it comes back to that saying, "Oh, I've been practicing this new trick in order to escape the other jets. We're going to try and turn yeah. this jet invisible. Have some dramatic tension to it, and then it never comes back, right? Again, because they leave the jet. They have. They don't even explain how they get back. I assume Presumably it's by they jet. use the jet, but like where they get the fuel. And how could you fly? God, I'm logic lording this. But like, <laughs> you take a jet from wherever they are. They're in DC. DC. So somewhere in probably Egypt. Maryland or West Virginia. You uh, the or Smithsonian yeah. in West Virginia. I don't know. Yeah, secret uh, storage of fueled working yeah. uh, fighter jets. That's how we keep them when they're on display, so they can always just be ready to go. I can't imagine that you could fly to Egypt and back to DC. One, I looked it up. You, you cannot. Oh, okay. not in that jet. That's a, why we have aircraft carriers. <laughs> we invented a boat specifically because you can't fly most planes across the Atlantic Ocean unless they're very, very big and can carry a lot of fuel. You know, or it can go super high and then just let gravity do the work. Uh, the I renounce my wish thing was a little bit too easy for me. It also like feels cheap yeah because i I thought it was gonna be her forcing max lord to renounce his wish which would then recursively undo everyone else's in order to undo this every single person who made a wish must renounce it and so you're telling me that every person who wished for something at that moment and they only show In that scene, they only show people making bad wishes. So it's like, well, of course they should renounce their wishes. That guy wished for that woman to be dead. And that woman wished that all Irish people would be forced back into Ireland. Also, this uh, Middle Eastern dude, who's clearly in an armed conflict, wished for more nuclear weapons. Um, Also, Gal Gadot does not have a great history of saying things about stuff going on. Um, In fact, she, um, in a particularly tasteless uh, scene when she saves those kids who are playing soccer um, using a missile. Um, Gal Gadot and I think... Not 20... even a missile, it was just a rocket launcher. Yeah. <laughs> like, are you telling me her body weight 
could be I, I hate the logic lord this <laughs> but like are you fucking kidding me you can wrap your lasso around that and use it to propel yourself but you can't just jump that far that fast get the fuck yeah, out of here because we see her move that fast in the two films preceding this yes. in the franchise so in 2014 Gal Gadot publicly supported um, a violent ambush by the Israeli military on the Gaza Strip and it during that ambush um, four children were killed by a missile and then in Wonder Woman 1984 Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman saves four children uh, it was like are you trying to what do you, what is your goal here? Do you understand the implication of this both in the real world and the fictional one that you're presenting? Like you can't just undo that's in pretty poor taste, dog. What the fuck? Yeah. I thought that was weird that that was in that scene too. It's weird that any part of that sequence happens. Why are they in... There's so many options that they had that didn't involve uh oil and therefore like, if you're going to set a movie in the 80s, you don't also have to have the weird racist ideas of the Middle East that we had in the 80s. When you think about it, they didn't even need to go to Egypt. They truly didn't. Because no. Max Lord got nothing from there. He just and went like, back to America. It seemed like a way to, like, work that, in the they, invisible jet well, for no, no they, fucking And then Bialya, the fictional Middle Eastern nation from the DC universe. They Wasn't that the uh, Black Adam country? No, that's... Um, Fuck it, whatever. Doesn't matter. They Bialya. remembered they they hadn't had an action scene yet, and so that's why they needed to have something. And they couldn't have it on the streets Egypt. of DC. Like Max Lord could have been in so many other industries as like a an eighties grifter. Why is it oil? Of all the things it could have been, why is it oil? Yeah, they made some a series of very strange choices in this movie. Like just even like recapping the story real quick. Okay, so she found a wishing stone. Kristen uh, Wig is sent a wishing stone by the FBI. They want to find out where it came from or some other shit. And like, oh, it actually ties into the jewelry heist at the beginning because they're running black, black yeah, they're market gigs. Smuggling, kicks. yes, yeah. So the jewelry heist, the jewelry store turns out it was smuggling goods in from another country. And Maxwell Lord had been looking for this stone. He was for trying. Yeah, he, was, he had found out about it and was deliberately trying to acquire it so that he could do what he does in the movie. Okay, and then Kristen Wiig wishes to be more like Diana um, because, like, like every other '80s cliche, she's like a dorky nerd. She's a cartoon nerd, um, and everyone ignores her to like a comical degree. And she wishes to be like Diana, who's like fun and pretty and everyone likes her, even though Diana doesn't talk to anybody <laughs> and is a distant to the point of being off-putting. Yes. It's how I would imagine a woman who appears to be in her late 20s, early 30s is an expert in multiple fields, but refuses to talk to anybody unless she has to, lives alone, goes out to eat alone, and... Like, that's a weird person. That's not someone that, like, you would seem like, well, she's stunningly beautiful, but, like, no one seems to like her at all. <laughs> or she doesn't like, we all like her, but she's like the rest of us. Yeah. Is the vibe I feel like Diana is giving in, at least by that point in her life in the 80s. Yeah. The, basically the culmination of the story. And it, the thing is, the story is really just that simple. Maxwell Lord gets a wishing stone. Or just trying to find a wishing stone. He finds it on the desk of Kristen Wiig as he's like touring the Smithsonian. And then down the road, he uses it to become the wishing stone. And then he just does wish stuff. 
wish fulfillment for people. Yeah. yeah. And, and then Wonder Woman says, no, you can't do that. And he finally says, you were right. I can't okay. do that. Oh my God, yeah. my son is sad. <laughs> I can't I can't do this anymore. My, somebody please think about my son. Oh wait, I should be. No, my son. It's so it's so stupid. Yeah. It's what the what in my mind would have been way cooler is if they uh had the god step in like halfway through the movie and just I don't know start fucking shit up. Have give give Diana somebody to fight. Have a reason to put on that armor. Like what? Yeah. Like that gaudy armor. What the fuck are you wearing that armor for? It was in the comics. You got to do it. It's I I looked at that armor and I was just like, dog. Like you go into a fight against somebody wearing something like you're not you're not against an army. Those wings aren't going to be good for Why you. Why does she have wings? If she uh, learns how to fight without them early in the film, in the film. They wanted to remind the audience of Hot Girl, somebody that's way cooler. <laughs> man, I can't wait for the Hot Girl, Hawk Man movie. That's not going to happen because it's going to be a series instead. And it's going to suck. God, it's going to be so broke. It's going to be so busted. It's going to be an HBO Max series, and it's not going to be good. When it could be a very cool movie of whatever. We're not here to pitch stuff to <laughs> DC, but um, I have a pitch DC. All right, that's how we're starting the next episode. <laughs> pitch, but, pitch a movie, but um. We haven't even addressed Diana's wish, which is to have Steve back, who heroically died 70 years earlier at the climax of the first Wonder Woman. He comes back in the body of an existing human man, despite the fact that later in the film we see... um, Objects just manifesting as a result of wishes. Nah, Steve's got to take over some dude's body. Yeah. And that dude's just, what, turned off for yeah, five there's, days? There's never any, like, impact of that, too. He could have easily appeared, but there was never anything like, we can't do that because you're currently possessing some guy's body. Yeah, there's no, there's no reason given why he has to take over someone else's body. There's no explanation for what happens to that man while Steve is in his body. He's just reliving Steve's death over and over <laughs> in World War I. He comes back at the end of the movie. Jeez, man, I, I feel like I died. 15 million times. Um, you were going to say 1,984 times. Oh, that would have been way better. <laughs> but he's so like what, Diana has sex with this man's body. That's the big quantum leap issue well, that I have. That, that never is clear either, because when Steve's looking at himself, he sees the other guy's face. And then when Diana. Wonder Woman sees him, it's, originally it's the guy, but then they pan the camera around. Once he has and, the, oh, it's Chris Pine. Once now. she has the realization that it's him. Then it's oh now I only see you. Yeah, I thought like, that was so stupid. It's so, like Diana, this this man has a life. You go to his apartment. He didn't just like stop existing, and Steve exists. If he had been born in the fifties instead of the eighteen nineties, he's yeah. Where's taking your, over someone's life? I just thought it was pretty funny when uh, he was showing her the guy's apartment the first time. So like, oh, I think he's an engineer. This is a nice apartment, isn't it? Let's just move in. Doug. Where's where's Diana's moral consideration for that guy's life? She doesn't give a shit. She sees him at the end of the movie, and there's not even like she doesn't even like feel bad. There's no acknowledgement that what she did was even weird. Not just morally wrong, but not even weird. Like she and she like flirts with him, and then he walks away, and she's like, "That guy's fine." He was just 
gone for a week. Like, <laughs> and she gets all upset. She gets all twisty over uh, Kristen Wig killing people. And like she does, it's the funniest thing. I always think about this in fights. It's like that scene from the boondocks where uh, granddad is in the past. He's like reliving one of his memories and he's fighting with that big brawling black dude. (laughs) But he's like, the black dude's not hitting anybody. He's just like putting them down gently on the ground. And Diana does that with one of the guards. Like he's about to hit this post and she grabs him real quick and like puts him down on the ground super softly. And I was just like, oh. That's really good. As we saw, though, Capitol Police, <laughs> not, not really. You not really. Happened, dog. <laughs> yeah, dog. They weren't doing much anyway. Yeah. <laughs> but so, yeah, there's a the whole moral implication of Steve takes over this dude's body and then it's never addressed again in the film. But there's also like so she loses. You make a wish. You lose the thing that's most important to you. Um, it's Diana doesn't care that she has powers. She doesn't even want people to know that she has powers for no reason. But well, the reason is because they already set up in Justice League that she hasn't been seen <laughs> in 80 years. But that's its own problem. And how come I granted I'm not like some fucking world building master, but you would think that something like this would be talked about how the world was <laughs> fucked for a single Look, day. Here, Here's my take on that, because there was some sort of comment one of the producers made saying this should be thought of as more of a standalone movie rather than something to fit within the DC universe. Sure, it should be. I think what they're going to do, they're going to go with the X-Men route where everything, like, there's sort of, like, a chronological logic to it, but then when you think about it, none of the movies really make sense together. Actually line up in any way. They just kind of have, like, as soon as they run into some sort of plot hole, it's like, oh, you know what? We're just going to reboot the franchise again within the reboot that we've already made. Yeah, they kind of drew themselves into a hole. But Diana starts to lose her powers, which feels like nothing. Like, we don't, even, aside from when she gets shot and almost doesn't save some children, it is the only time that we see the power loss thing be a problem. Yeah, she's not like fucking tired all the time. She yeah. she doesn't have normal human problems. Right. It's not. It's, it's not like, even. I mean, we. This is like a second film thing, like trope in superhero movies. Superman two did it. Spider Man two did it. Wonder Woman nineteen eighty four. It was also like hero got to lose their powers a little bit. But like, she doesn't even lose her. Like Peter Parker has to start wearing glasses again. Clark can't like gets beat up in a bar. Like Diana still pushes two tanks over while they're driving and lassos herself to a missile. She still turns a jet invisible with magic. She but she just, you know, it, she has to strain more. And she the power loss. got shot and it hurt, but like didn't. But and she has trouble pulling that lock off the door early on. Right. I kind of tell if that was like a, a power loss oh, yeah. thing or... What was the deal with that? Because they were just like, well, it's a real strong lock. Maybe she's just trying to like, I I figured, I I didn't even connect that to powers, like losing powers. I saw that more as like, I don't want to be seen breaking and entering. So let me just make sure that no one's going to see. But then like she loses the fight with Barbara. But like she still takes out all of those secret service people with no problem. Like it's... 
I thought she was going to have to wear the armor earlier to make up for because her she, not yeah, having she, powers. But by the yeah. time she puts the armor on, she has her full powers back and therefore doesn't need armor. But And she's fighting a fuck, somebody who likes a weird musical about cats killing themselves. Also, <laughs> Cats did come out in 1981, so it's very likely that Barbara could have seen Cats. <laughs> oh, God. How gross. How weird that that was even contrived to me where where Barbara was like, I want to be an apex predator. Yeah, I thought there was going to be more like hints towards her, like affinity towards cats or something. Oh, but she says it's... she likes a uh, leopard print one time earlier in the film. <laughs> one time. Not enough. It's yeah, honestly, I think I would think better of this movie if I saw it in theaters because I love like the spectacle and shit. I think the spectacle makes a difference. Even like even watching it in VR was like if I didn't already if I watched it in VR first, I might have liked it more just because you can replicate that experience. But because I already like didn't like it when I watched it the second time, I was like, well, some of these action sequences or the two action sequences hit a little heavier. Two and a half. The first that like last fight with cheetah is nothing it's completely dark it's like the fight scene at the end of the the 2014 godzilla where it's like i think fights are happening like <laughs> you can't see anything and every and then what you can see is like it doesn't look good like they used so the close-up shots you see of cheetah most of those shots are like practical makeup but then as soon as she has to do anything they switch to a cg model and it just like doesn't yeah and the scene has to be dark or else the cg looks real crazy and like it still looks bad so it's like what did you even accomplish and i that was the fight i thought was contrived with the power cables and shit yeah i was like this would be cool if it were like spider-man or something but like tearing off power cables swinging back and forth yeah and then like because you also because diana has her powers back you know she's not actually like there's no stakes to it you know she can't be affected to the point where the way she beats barbara is to electrocute the water that she is also in it that is a consequence free fight for diana yeah that like doesn't even contrast the one where they're closer to equal footing earlier before barbara's even that strong but like when diana has her full powers back even with barbara having more like a second wish power she's not even like a threat to her at all the whole time diana's just trying not to hurt her so she can be changed back yeah yeah i want to see the ruthless killer wonder woman because wasn't that a big thing in like the justice league cartoon where she just was like very ruthless she's the thing with wonder woman is she's not opposed to killing she'll try the things first but if what has to happen is you have to end this fight she'll end the fight um her unwillingness to do any actual damage to anybody in this movie doesn't track even with the version of her that we see in the first Wonder Woman or BVS and Justice League where she's totally down to just like stab people. Yeah. And then she just for whatever reason just doesn't this time around. One thing that I don't really like is like the adherence to we can't kill humans but killing aliens is okay. Yeah, like they're also sapient they're sentient creatures yeah. yes it, like what the 
Like, what the fuck? Like, like what, what? Were you guys big racists? Huh? Yeah. <laughs> you're, all you're saying is that they're, they're, look, yeah, they are an intelligent life and they're comparable to us. In fact, they're more advanced than us because they were able to get here and we couldn't get to where they are. They have better technology. They could get here. They're advanced, more advanced than us. But is it like they're so much more advanced than us that we can kill them? Like how we can justify killing animals? Like, where, is that, if that's what, because that's a different statement. And that's the statement that you're making is <laughs> they're so far above us that of course we can kill them. They're like so different that it's a threat. And I was like, well, that sounds like racism, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah, it does. All right. So what are we rating this movie? I gave it like a 1.5. Yeah. I'll give it a 1.5 just because. I'd give it a two if I'd seen it in theaters the first time. Yeah, same, actually. But 1.5, there's not even, like, a continuity reason to watch it. Like, it doesn't. It it wasn't the worst movie I've ever seen. So I can't give it the lowest possible score. Cut out all the Middle Eastern stuff, which is a solid 25 minutes of the film. Much more digestible. Yeah. Still bad, but at least digestible. At least puts it under two hours. Yeah. You can cut out all the shit with the nukes, too. You can really like you can just skip to the part where he's uh, in the television station and he's like talking to people or whatever. Just find another way to do it. Yeah. Or just make just have it be one villain. A better version of this story is Barbara finds out that Diana like cut out Max Lord, the wishing stone. Get, get all that shit out of here. Barbara finds out Diana is Wonder Woman. They work at a museum. Maybe she finds pictures of Diana. Yeah. From World War One. And she's like. She's looking at the picture, looks up, sees Diana, oh, oh, does the com- comedy double take, and that's how that begins. Yeah, and then keep that keep the element of there's a there are these different pantheons. There are different gods. Different gods do things for different reasons, and it's Barbara's interest in all those different fields that she's an expert in, and that draws her to try to get closer to Diana. She finds out she's Wonder Woman. And at that point, even though they're becoming friends, Wonder Woman pushes her away. That drives her towards one of these other gods. That's how she becomes the cheetah. They have, like, they're from different pantheons, and that's where the conflict is. And then it's about saving your friend, the first real connection you've made since World War One, and not, I don't get the thing that I want, so no one gets the thing that they want. And... Also, the only thing anyone wants is bad things. No one's ever wished for anything good to happen except for me. <laughs> Why can't I have what I want? It's like, fuck it, you can. You're just attached to this one thing because you... There's this um, 90 Day Fiance... Uh, that should have been my number one show. Uh, <laughs> 91 fiance, 90 Day Fiance podcast I listen to. And they were covering... While there was a gap in between episodes, they covered Married at First Sight, which I also watch now, which also could have been my one of my 2020 top picks is they like joking about this woman who's like in the matchmaking thing and married at first sight. And they keep referring to her as having virgin brain because she's like, she's just like really awkward and weird and like really hyping up um, the first person she has sex with, which is like you're 30 and it's 2020. And if sex is important to you in that way, then like, that's fine. You don't have to have sex with people, but it's not like, it shouldn't be part of your personality. Yeah. That yeah. you don't fuck. Just like don't. It's that's it's your own thing. 
anyway that's how i feel like uh, diana is with steve is like it's totally that thing where like you just fall in love with the first person you have sex with <laughs> and like you just can't you just end up in this like dumb stupid relationship with a 17 year old because you're also 17 and it feels like the biggest thing ever because we have a weird relationship with sex in our country it's true and that's straight up the vibe diana has is i can only love this one person but she's immortal so that like stretches out into 70 years of her refusing to get close to anybody yeah your idea is really good i'd watch that instead of this yeah same or i mean i have a i have a max lord pitch as well i think the max lord <laughs> stuff works i think it's cool that the change that they made where he's like in uh, an immigrant and he's like set up he's had to deal with being othered in our society for so long that his desire for power is so that he can build a better life than he was given from an abusive father and a society that doesn't accept him and try to build that for his son and looking to get magical power from that and diana having to make an appeal to that where it's like this power is not what's going to make it better for you either one of those characters has much better arcs present but because it's both of those characters and this movie doesn't know what it wants to be neither of them deliver despite having a lot of potential and being acted really well so now it's like we've lost access to these two characters because this movie was bad yeah here's my pitch you make it like the Wishmaster, but with superheroes. <laughs> uh, I mean, honestly, I think if you make this more horror-oriented, where uh, Maxwell Lord gets the Wishstone, and then the God starts, like, fucking with him and making him do stuff, whatever. I don't know. Yeah, like, he's and constantly being whispered to by this God that created the stone. and Yeah. Forcing him to grant certain kinds of wishes or to turn wishes in a certain way. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, you get to see inside the mind of the monkey paw, monkey's paw. Yeah. And even like tie that into Barbara's transformation. So it's like more body horror-y, body horror-y and not just she shows up and she looks like a cat now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. When we come back, our titular segment, No Concessions. With our titular segment, no concessions. I I hope you like this interstitial music. I don't even know why I put it in there. <laughs> Honestly, we could do without it. I think it's just to break up the show a little bit. Yeah, you be making it. You may as well use it. Yeah, fuck it. Whatever. Um, all right. So I think I will go first this week. My no, negative no concessions pick this week is 2011's Footloose. <laughs> Holy shit. I forgot that movie happened. <laughs> yep. So <laughs> I'm sure I talked about it on the show at one point when I watched it, but like I think this is probably one of the worst remakes that I've ever seen. <laughs> the original Footloose, the the premise is fucking ridiculous, but given the time that we live in, I think it's more believable than anything that this town would outlaw dancing after <laughs> After a group of kids got killed in like some fucking car accident or something like that. I think uh, the story is that 
like on a game night, they had this crazy party and like four kids died after drunk driving. Yeah, it's like the dancing isn't what killed the kids, but okay, I can. <laughs> if you got to blame something, you can't blame drinking in the Midwest because that. What else do they have? So it's got to be. <laughs> uh, they remade this movie with a bunch of actors that I don't know and don't care about, except for John Lithgow because he's the shit. And he, basically. They changed Kevin Bacon's character to some kid from fucking Boston or whatever, for whatever reason. I don't understand why. He just has this weird, thick accent that slides in and out when he's talking. And it's just like, what? Like what, what? Why would you do this? It, and I understand that it's to make it so that the people in the movie know that he's from somewhere else. Because you just can't have a white guy from another place anymore. It's got to be a white guy from another place with an accent. So all the other white people around know that he's not one of them. Yeah, he's gotta, it's got to be clear that he's from somewhere else. Yeah. And the gimmick of a guy dancing to blow off steam does not play the same. It doesn't, doesn't hit the same. I think it works in the context of an eighties movie because we had cutaway scenes like that. Yeah. Yeah. And it also makes sense in an eighties movie because everything was like goofy back then. Everybody was high on Coke all the time. So it was just like, I got this fucking premise for a movie, man. (laughs) My, my girlfriend came in on me last night and I was dancing and she was just like, man, stop dancing. You're going to upset the neighbors. And I was like, what are you, the dance police? And I was like, Oh my God, what if we made a movie about the dance police? What? But for the police to enforce that law, they would need to make it a law. Oh my God, this is real. And then footloose came to be. And, So the the remake, I think, um, honestly does a disservice to the original movie because the original movie is like zany, wacky, and kind of fun, believable. But in a modern sense, when you have a town full of like horny teenagers that have like sick bods and they just keep dancing and like for some reason they have plenty of things to do and it's not like a typical small town they have like a fucking racetrack they have like uh the local hole that all the kids go to and play music when there are no adults around like what you you expect me to believe that cops aren't just sitting around waiting for them kids dancing's illegal and tickets generally a lot of money for the for the city so yeah, of course they're going to be driving around looking for private parties. Yeah, exactly. And also, like at one point, there's also a city ordinance saying, like, "Yo, like you can't play music over a certain volume." So this dumb kid from Boston with his weird aloof look on his face is driving around and he gets pulled over and he's just like, "What officer? I was just playing my music. I don't know how to do a Boston accent." <laughs> Great episode for accents so far. <laughs> anyway, this the remake is dog shit. Uh, it's it's genuinely just bad. It's off putting. It takes all like the fun out of the original one. It's a little too self serious. It's not like two dudes doing gymnastics <laughs> in a fucking gym, which is in the original one. It's really funny. Uh, anyway, who's next? Uh, I've got a positive one. <gasps> it's Alex Garland's first movie, Ex Machina. Uh, the first movie he directed, I should say, because he wrote a bunch of other ones. Talked a lot about Alex Garland before. Really like this guy. Um, actually, um, what 2020 took away from me wasn't my free time and like having to be locked inside all the time, but the fact that they delayed Dune from my new favorite director, Denis Villeneuve. I'm so starved of his movies now that I had to watch one of his older French movies, On Sandy, which I just feel like pretentious as shit for saying it that way. <laughs> That's not the no concessions pick. It, it was okay. 
it's not that great. Uh, Ex Machina, though, uh, is a super, super small focus movie. It, it seriously has like four main cast people on it where a uh, guy working at a tech company, do you, do you see the type of movies that Alex Garland makes? He wins a contest in order to spend a week with the CEO, which if you ask me is like a super weird contest to have. Like, oh, if you won this contest, employee at Apple. You get to hang out with Tim Cook at his house for a week. Well, think about it like this. How many of the dorks on the internet would love to win a day to spend with Elon Musk? Yeah, yeah that's... Yeah, imagine how many people who work at Tesla would be, be like, thing. oh my God, I'd just come if I could meet Elon Musk. Uh, well, the CEO in the movie is not Elon Musk. He's like specifically described as being a recluse who no one sees. So... In the context of the movie, no, I don't think anyone would want to spend a week with him. But he goes to his little, like, out-of-the-way mansion compound and finds out that the CEO has been developing an AI uh, in a a robot who looks like a person. Oh, that's crazy. So he made the movie Her. (laughs) Her was a documentary in the (laughs) Alex Garland universe. (laughs) Yeah, the premise is I've made this AI. Um, What's the sick cast? Why didn't I see this it, movie? Yeah, oh, it's it's amazing. And the um, the premise is we're going to have a Turing test with a twist where instead of testing to see if this robot has consciousness or not, you are going to have the knowledge that it is a robot, but is she going to be acting so realistic that you feel she still exhibits consciousness? I mean, I've seen some clips of it and like i know it's oscar isaac and i know he's bald which is a good look for him actually but like also casting uh the weirdly like oscar isaac is too handsome to play a recluse like a billionaire recluse it's a weird casting choice there but and then the uh the evil general from the new star wars trilogy he's the main character yeah oh that's interesting in, in an actually good role (laughs) <laughs> not the frothing at the mouth. I'm so evil. Empire. Oh, cartoon space Hitler. He's he's having a good time. <laughs> yeah, I, I wouldn't call it like a fun movie. Again, it's got kind of like a uncomfortable atmosphere to it, but it's very thinky, which is pretty cool. Because like um, the movie segmented into all these different sessions of Domal Gleason talking to the AI. Like we're going to be talking to the AI session one. And then the screen cuts to black and it explicitly says like Ava session one and then Ava session two throughout. And then in each one, he kind of explores this different aspect of the robot's personality and the rapport between the two characters kind of like evolves over the course of the movie. And then interspersed with those sessions, he's got these kind of like debriefs with Oscar Isaac where they go into different aspects about and here's what's so fascinating about AI taking over the world and the development of her brain and how she thinks differently from people. So can't recommend it enough. Okay, so this is so in Alex Garland's universe, not only did he invent her, her was a documentary <laughs> with, about a guy who falls in love with the first AI that Oscar Isaac puts out, but it also leads into the future of Blade Runner. Where you've got rogue uh, robots running replicants. around, replicants running around. 
Damn, Alex Garland tying the world together. Making a cinematic universe will be quiet about it. Yeah. Yeah. A funny side note about the uh, development of this movie. So at one point, Oscar Isaac is saying, you're probably wondering how I made this AI. Well, what I did was I just recorded every conversation in the world by turning on everyone's cell phones. Because part of what his company does is like provide a search engine and phones pretty much the same as Google. So do what uh, Bill Gates is doing to the patriots right now who are getting forced to take the vaccine oh yeah that's right microchipping everyone (laughs) what what's what's also like in sort of like a a meta funny way about that is uh, in the movie they say that this company blue book it does 94 percent of the world's search engine queries and i looked up google and it actually does more than 94 percent of the world's search engine queries so oscar isaac says i'm turning on all the phones i got all this information and none of the phone companies could say that I was doing it because they themselves were doing it. And then in an interview with Alex Garland, he says, yeah, it's uh, interesting because I wrote that in the script before it was revealed that the NSA <laughs> was spying on everybody's phone conversations. And the way they were getting away with it is because all of the phone companies were doing it and therefore couldn't say anything. <laughs> That's always fun when you like, what was it? Um, Tom Clancy got interviewed by the FBI a bunch because he kept like writing stuff that's how the federal government actually does things like i would just like thought about how i would do it and his books would come out and then they'd be like look we got to talk again um, <laughs> how did you know that this and this and this like I, I fucking didn't man i just i'm just bored i sit around a lot that's fun my no concession pick just just to keep on vibe with just keep on topic with the fact that i'm a child is 2011's the muppets real good movie like i was i I, so i hadn't watched it up until two weeks ago because i was worried that it wasn't good and i really like the muppets i didn't want there to be a bad muppet movie um the closest thing to a bad muppet movie is uh which one muppets most wanted it's still fun but it's easily the worst one but the muppets is great like the muppets is written like jason siegel and who stars in it my mind was going through all the possible like jason last names like jason (laughs) schwartzman jason bateman which one which jason is in this uh jason siegel co-wrote it and it is truly like what somebody who really liked the muppets but also understands comedy would write it's just as funny as the original muppets movie it has an approach that's like the muppets exist as like the muppet movie happened like so everything is from that version of the universe where like the muppet movie happened and the muppets became famous and they made a movie about their experience and then all the rest of their career happened like there were more muppet movies there was the muppet show all this stuff happened and then right around the time that the muppets start stopped being marketable in real life is when they stopped making like where they fell out of favor in this universe where they exist. And so it's Jason Siegel's character and his brother, who is inexplicably a puppet. And they're both huge puppet fans. And so they're going to go, or Jason Siegel's going to take his girlfriend, Amy Adams, for their 10th anniversary. They're going to go to LA and they bring Marty, his brother, along to just why would you bring your brother on your 10th anniversary across the country? Um, vacation, but whatever it happens. It's a kid's movie. And they go. 
and they're excited to meet the Muppets, and the Muppet Studios are all decrepit, and none of the Muppets talk to each other. It's just the Muppets. It's just <laughs> the Muppets take Manhattan again, but in 2011, and everyone's like, no, the Muppets are still fucking dope, but we just forgot because they've been gone for so long. And it's just, it's really funny. The music is, it's like kind of light on music for a musical. There's like maybe seven songs and five, only like five of them are original. Two of them are just from other Muppet movies. But the music, the all the original music is written by Brett McKenzie of Flight of the Concords. And it fucking shows. It's really smartly written. It's like really earnest, but in a way that's not like saccharine. Like it doesn't feel cheesy. It's just, yeah, they fucking love the Muppets and like the Muppets were cool for a long time and then they just weren't around anymore. And at that point, the last Muppet movie that had come out was, I think, uh, Muppets in Space in like 1998. It was the last Muppet movie. So for it to be that big a gap, I think helps that that's what the movie is about. And it works. They pull it off. Some of the voices take some getting used to because... I've been watching the Muppet movies all year and what clips of the Muppet show I can find. And so like hearing the original voices of the Muppets and then hearing like the current versions of the Muppets, because most of the voice actors who voiced the Muppets before have either died or retired. I found, I did find out Frank Oz is still alive, but he's just, I thought he had, I mean, he was definitely alive at the time of the movie because he voiced Yoda in the last Jedi. But, um, yeah, he's re- he was he was retired. He only he by that point by 2011 he was only directing, so he, that's why he's not around to voice any of the Muppets that he voiced before. He came out of retirement to voice Yoda in the Last Jedi. But anyway, the Muppets 2011 is solid. I'm going to watch the. You're not going to hear it on the next episode, but the the two episodes from now you hear if I liked Muppets Most Wanted or not. Okay. Excellent. Uh, well, thanks everybody for listening to this week's edition of No Concessions. Real long one for you. Um, uh, yeah, as long as Wonder Woman 1984 was. <laughs> not even. We still need 45 minutes. Holy shit! To get there, this is as long as Young Frankenstein, though. Well, I mean, after I get done editing, it won't be <laughs> because it's like I I also speed it up a little bit. If I don't know if you guys know I'm this, but it. I speed it up by four percent hmm. because I I don't know why. I just, I just started doing I it. I just assumed I sounded 4% faster <laughs> in real life. <laughs> anyway, uh, you guys got anything you want to pump, pump, pump the jam? Um, no, just Instagram and Twitter, no hypothesis. I'm hoping to get a bunch of cool wallpapers that I'm just going to like scrape from all those like wallpaper compilation sites and post it to the Instagram regularly because <laughs> I... I, I use my time very wisely. <laughs> so why not do silly projects that have absolutely no reason for existing? Fair enough. Twitter and Instagram, the Charles time. I don't make Instagram posts, but I do post in my stories sometimes. And then I don't use Twitter at all, except for it to occasionally retweet things. So if you don't follow me there, follow me on Instagram and I'll, you can just see when I'm drinking alone. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. All right. Thanks, everybody. Bye.